listening to the podcast of Northside Assembly of God in Crowley, Louisiana. Well, it's so good to be here and see all of you here this morning. Um, appreciate you uh, being here on particularly this Sunday, which is a special day for us. This is the only church that I've ever been on staff at for 17 years in one capacity or another, and this is the only church my wife and my children have ever known. So this is a big deal for us, and Northside will always have a special place in our hearts. And uh, I want to say a big congratulations to Jared and jo- Jordan Armentar. Where are you guys? There you are. The Armentars. I've been able, I hadn't been able to say that until today. Got married on this platform last night. They said, we are delaying our honeymoon one day. So that we can be here to hear our pastor one more time. Man, that's, that's dedication. That's when you know somebody loves you as a pastor. You know, that honeymoon can wait. <laughs> Ooh, man, I'm, I'm so blessed to be here. Thank you guys so much. And, you know, a lot of what I want to say is going to be in this message. So I want to get right to it and not delay. But uh, I get to ask you one more time. How many are you ready for the word today? Amen. Nice. Nice. It only took eight years to get a nice hearty response to that question. All right. We're finishing up an era today, not just my, Carrie and I, our era here, but uh, also the era of Colossians. We've been working through Colossians for the last nine months, passage by passage, verse by verse. And we got 11 verses left, and we're going to knock it all out today. And uh, I want to first read, so the title of the sermon, as you can see on the screen, is Grace Be With You. This comes from the very last sentence of Paul's letter to the Colossians, and I felt like it would be an appropriate sermon title today. Um, let's look through these last 11 verses. I'll make a few comments as we look through them, and then we'll pray, and then I'll explain what we're going to do this morning. All right, Paul begins here in verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances, that he may encourage your hearts. He's coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is called Justice, I mean, Jesus was just a common name in uh, the first century in the Jewish world, so don't let, you, don't let that throw you off. Uh, he also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my coworkers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. Just pause right there. I just want to highlight one more time, as I have many times elsewhere. Paul's criteria, criteria for success is always maturity in likeness. For Paul, that's the target right there. You never find Paul in his letters ever talking about metrics, talking about how to mechanically grow a church, how to manufacture an engineer through marketing. He never comments on that stuff. But what he comments about relentlessly is how to become mature in Christ. And that's the goal. That's what we're about. Um, He says in verse 13, I vouch for him, speaking of Epaphras, I I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those at Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. In the uh, early church, they didn't have buildings like this one. You know, Christianity was an outlawed religion, so they didn't have church buildings. They met in homes. Whoever had the largest home, that's where people would gather. So, you know, you'd have maybe about 20 to 30 people gathering together every Sunday and even throughout the week. It would be the same 20 or 30 people. And so they develop these close-knit relationships with one another. But but just remember, every time in the New Testament when you hear words like church, you know, or, or some of these letters like the letter to the Colossians or the Ephesians or the Philippians and so on, 
don't imagine a building like this one. There's, there's definitely room for this. There's definitely value in what we do on Sundays. But, but what's being said applies primarily to a, a home context, a, a, ch- a home church type of context. And so he's mentioning this particular church uh, that met in a woman's house, a woman who had the unfortunate name of Nympho. Verse 16. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. This is how Paul's letters were disseminated. You know, letters were very expensive to produce. And and uh, so so they would receive a letter and sometimes memorize sections of it or copy it down and then pass it on to somebody else and it would circulate. Verse 17. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful to stand here today and grateful to be here with um, just family members, people that are family and will always be family. And we are uh, first and foremost here united by Christ. And we're grateful for, for you and what you've done, the love that you've demonstrated for us on the cross of Calvary. And that's what binds all of us together. And I pray that uh, you would be with us and you already are. But let us let us seize hold of this moment, knowing that you're present, knowing that you're at work and you're speaking here today. Even in this very last sermon, there's something you want us to speak. You want you want to speak to our hearts. You want to do in our lives. And so right now we lay aside anything that would distract us internally, externally. We just put that aside as an act of worship. And we humble ourselves before your word. And we ask, Holy Spirit, speak to our hearts, change our lives. Let your kingdom be established in Jesus' name. Amen. So Paul here in this passage is winding this letter down, summing it all up, sharing some very last words, passing on final greetings, and just giving them some final instructions before he finishes this letter. And that's really what I want to do today. At the end of this message, I'm going to take some time and just kind of give you some final words, some final greetings, final expressions of gratitude and, and, and instructions. But before I get to that, I wanted to take a moment and look at Paul's final words in this letter and just mention a few things that I think are very important that kind of stick out. You know, you, you look at a passage like this one where, you know, a letter's kind of summing up and... And you read this, and it's, it's like so-and-so says hi, and this guy's passing on his greetings. And you're thinking, what in the world can we get out of something like this, a passage like this? It's, it seems like for, for, you know, perhaps, you know, trying to read a genealogy and, and get devotional material out of it. But I think what you're going to see today is that there's actually a whole lot here. There's actually some really dynamite truths here in this closing of this letter to, to the Colossian church. I want to mention just a couple names that we see here. First of all, you read the name here early on in the passage. We find the name Onesimus. Onesimus. And he's referred to as our faithful and dear brother who is one of you. And if this, if this is all we knew about Onesimus, it wouldn't tell us much. But if we look over, you know, to the letter to, the, to, to Philemon, the book of Philemon, a little bit later in the New Testament, we learn more about Onesimus' story, which brings new meaning to this passage, to this verse. And what we learn from that book is that Onesimus began as a slave. He was a slave to a guy named Philemon who was um, a friend of Paul's. And Philemon was a Christian, but he also owned at least one slave. And so this is the first thing I just want to get out of the way is in the Greco-Roman world, they did have a form of slavery. It was uh, very different in many ways from slavery here in the United States in the pre-abolition South where people were treated like cattle. Um, in the Greco-Roman world of slavery, you know, even though people didn't have rights, you know, there was actually a touch of humanity to it where you could actually at least theoretically work your way into freedom. So it was a little bit of a different type of scenario. It was more like, in most cases, indentured servanthood. But still, I think for us, you know, standing from the viewpoint of 21st century America, I think we can look back on any form of slavery, and I think we can unanimously declare that any form of slavery is dehumanizing. And, and so Onesimus, though, he is a slave. It was thoroughly part of their way of life and their culture and their way of thinking. So Onesimus is a slave that runs away 
he escapes from his master, Philemon. And somewhere along the way, Onesimus hears the gospel and receives the gospel and believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and becomes a Christian. And somewhere along the way, he runs into the Apostle Paul who takes Onesimus under his wing and begins to serve under Paul. Onesimus becomes a, a friend and a servant under Paul. And so now you have this really weird situation where you have these two men, Philemon on one hand, who's a slave master, but he's also a Christian. And then you have over here Onesimus, who's a runaway slave, who has now also become a Christian. And first and foremost, beyond any other arrangement in the world, these two men are now brothers in Christ. And yet you still have this institution of slavery that's thoroughly ingrained into their culture and their way of, of thinking. And, and no matter how we, we look upon it now in 21st century America from our standpoint, you can't just change that culture overnight. You don't just wave a magic wand and make slavery go away just like this. What happens is the gospel first changes hearts, and then these changed hearts change the culture. But that takes time. And in, in between those times, there's a lot of tension there. There's a lot of tension between Christ and culture. So what do you do about it? Well, what Paul does is he writes a letter to Philemon. And in his letter to Philemon, Paul essentially just tells him, listen, you got to recognize before he's anything else, Onesimus is now your brother in Christ. And he also mentions that Onesimus needs to see Philemon as his brother in Christ, and if necessary, work under him as his brother in Christ. But then Paul really starts to get confrontative, and he tells Philemon, he says, listen, I know that this situation has put you in financial hardship, and, and you've really, you know, uh, it's cost you a pretty penny. The fact that this guy ran away, you've, you've, you've lost some, some real financial assets here, and I understand that. And Paul says, if this guy has incurred any debt against you, charge it to me. But Paul says, um, I'm not going to mention it to you, but just remember, you owe me your life, which he just did mention it. But he's really trying to put the screws to Philemon. And evidently, it worked. Because here we see at the end of Paul's letter to the Colossians, Paul brings up Onesimus. He's our faithful and dear brother, and he's coming to you. And, uh, and he, he and Tychicus, they're going to come, and they're going to explain everything that's happening here. And there's no mention of Philemon, which would have been unheard of. He would have said, Philemon, or, or Onesimus, the slave of Philemon. But instead, he's the servant of Jesus Christ. So we see just a beautiful, harmonious ending here to the story of uh, Onesimus. But we got to remember, there's a whole lot of messiness that led up to it. That's even more so the case with another guy that Paul mentions in his letter. He mentions Mark. Mark, the cousin of Barnabas way back in Acts chapter 13, we read about how the church in Antioch took two men, Paul and Barnabas, and the Holy Spirit, not just these people, these, these church leaders, the Holy Spirit directs the, ch the church to put these two men together as partners in ministry, as missionaries, to, to travel together and minister together. And so Paul and Barnabas by the instrumentation of the Holy Spirit, are joined together to do ministry. And what happens somewhere down the line is Barnabas wants to take along his cousin, a rookie named Mark. And so Mark starts tagging along, and evidently things start to go south. And, and, and you know, Paul's really struggling with this. He, he just, you know, he's kind of been tolerating the situation. But it gets to a point Somehow or another, Mark starts to create problems. He starts to slow them down. And so, so Paul just stands up and says, enough of this, man. Our mission's too important. we got to cut this guy loose. And Barnabas stands up for his cousin and says, no, man, this is my flesh and blood. Let's, let's work with him. There's some potential here. And both of them are so firmly entrenched in their positions that they end up splitting their partnership, their, their ministry partnership, they, they now just go their separate ways and begin to do ministry on their own, separately from one another. And, and so listen, when we think about the early church, the New Testament church, sometimes we like to idealize the church and say, wow, these people were just, man, their, their churches were so perfect and, 
and they never had any problems, never had any fights, never had any splits or squabbles, and it's only later that the problems came. No, 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 listen to me. The New Testament is all about people, and people are problems, and people have always been problems. And when you get honest about the New Testament, from the very beginning there are fights. From the very beginning there's, there, there are messes, there are squabbles. And yet in this situation, we see evidently that reconciliation must have happened. There, there was some form of restoration in that relationship. Maybe, for example, maybe Paul just kind of softened a little bit as he got older. Maybe he got a little bit more merciful. He used to have this hard edge to him, and maybe he's starting to soften a little bit. And then maybe Mark, you know, maybe he actually is maturing, or maybe it's a blend of both. But here at the very end, we see Paul recommending Mark to the congregation of Colossae. I mention all of that to say this, and I want, this may be the most important sentence of the sermon. I want you to listen. These types of problems, these types of messes, these types of conflicts, whether it's in Colossae or whether it's in Northside and Crowley or any church, these types of relational conflicts, folks, this is where real spirituality happens. And this is where holiness gets worked out in our lives, in the nitty-gritty details of human life and interaction. Not just in the conflicts, but even in just the simple things, the way we greet one another. The way we acknowledge one another when somebody walks into the room. You know, one of the things I think this passage confronts us with is questions like, who do you greet? Who do you welcome? Who do you affirm? Who do you compliment? Who do you pray for? And where does God want to see reconciliation happen in your life? Sometimes we, we only think and, and look for God in, in the big things, in the spectacular things, but God is present in the nitty-gritty details of human life and conversation. You know, this passage right here, it'd be easy if you were studying the Bible, it'd be easy to just skip over it or scan through it and feel like, man, there's not much to get out of here. You know, this guy's saying hello and this person's passing along their greetings and this guy wants you to know he's praying for you. And it seems so trivial, folks, it's anything but trivial. It's so important. You know, over the last week, one of our prominent members here, one of our one of our most faithful leaders, a guy who has never told me no. I've never heard him tell me no. Rodney LaFosse is going through a severe health issue, and, and we've been praying for him. I've been praying for him all week, as many of you have. And I can't tell you how many people have asked me throughout the week, how's Brother Rodney doing? What's the latest on Brother Rodney? We're praying for Brother Rodney and, and others. But, folks, that even just those expressions of concern those thoughts for one another, that's not trivial, folks. That's what kingdom love looks like in our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. Even in just watching somebody walk into the room and saying, hey, how are you doing? Good morning. Good to see you today. You know, that's a way of acknowledging one another's existence and affirming the human dignity that each one of us have. And we should not take that for granted. Because we live in a culture today where I think a lot of that, we're, we're starting to lose some of that. There's been over the last 30 years a lot of social commentators who have observed that even just basic human decency, common decency is starting to fall by the wayside here in our, our culture. We, on one hand, we've become so, we become so self-absorbed. And we have this mentality sometimes that, you know what, I have my life, you have yours, mind your business, I'll mind my business. And on top of that, with all of the advent of all of our technological gadgets, we have our phones and our tablets to just immerse ourselves in. And, and it's so common to just pass somebody by on the sidewalk or pass somebody in the hallway and, and to not even acknowledge the other person or not even to say hello or, or good morning. And when you're following somebody, you can't even take it for granted anymore that the person's going to hold the door open for you, whereas it used to be kind of assumed. All of that you know, to some degree is starting to decline and fall by the wayside in our society. And, and folks, if we're Christians, we got to understand, if we're not actively resisting the culture, we're absorbing it. And one of the things that I'm concerned about is, is that we can preach a lot about the high, beautiful ideas of Christianity that the love of God is really demonstrated in our lives when we lay our lives down for our enemies. And that's true and that's beautiful.
But what I'm concerned about, and I especially have to challenge myself about this over and over, is that we can focus so much on these truly beautiful, high, challenging ideas of laying our lives down for one another, including our enemies. We can emphasize that so much, and yet at the same time, be unwilling to be inconvenienced by a stranger walking to, into our church for the first time and just going over to them and saying, how are you doing? What's your name? Where are you from? Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Make yourself at home. If the ultimate act of kingdom love is laying your life down for an enemy, the first act of kingdom love is just basic common decency. Jesus said it like this in John 13. So the new commandment I'm giving to you, love one another even as I've loved you. That's the bottom line. We love one another as Christ loves us. While we were yet sinners, while we were yet imperfect, while we were messy, while we had bad breath and all of that other stuff. He loves us, and so also we're to love one another with that same love. And Jesus says, this is how the world's going to know. This is the advertisement that you belong to me, is in the way you love one another on a daily basis. But think about it. How are people going to witness that love on a day-to-day -day basis? Where's that aroma of love going to be experienced on a daily basis? It's wonderful when somebody's life's in danger and you risk your life or maybe even give your life to save them. That's a beautiful expression of kingdom love. And it's also wonderful when somebody's in severe financial hardship and so you just break your back and, and, and truly sacrifice to give to that person generously to, to sustain them. That's a beautiful act of kingdom love. But that's not what kingdom love looks like on, in our lives on a day-to-day -day basis. What's the first aroma of kingdom love that somebody's going to sense in our lives? When a person walks into this church for the first time, what's, what's that first scent of love? That they're going to experience. It's not in how we lay our li lives down for one another. It's in the meet and greet. It's in how we welcome, how we affirm, how we encourage one another. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is always kind. Love is never rude. Love is never arrogant. It's always hospitable. It's always encouraging. It's always welcoming. This is what kingdom love looks like on a day-to-day basis in our lives. And it ought to be the case that when a person walks into Northside Assembly for the first time, the first impression they ought to have is what a welcoming group of people. What a friendly group of people. What an encouraging group of people. And now maybe, maybe over time, if they stick around long enough, maybe they'll discover that, yes, our love for one another goes much deeper than just that. That we are willing to humble ourselves and serve people. That we are willing to sacrifice significantly one another. But the first scent of that love has got to be about how we welcome and affirm and encourage those people as people made in the image of God, people for whom Christ died. A couple weeks ago, I was uh, up in the sound booth with Scott East, who is not here today, so I feel really good about using him as an, as an illustration. And he would hate it. But Scott, um, Scott and I were talking, I, I can't remember, it might have been on a Sunday morning, but we were, it was just us. And we were just reminiscing, just knowing that we were about, uh, that I was about to leave. And, and uh, you know, I remember, I still remember the very first Sunday that Scott and Jackie East walked into this church. It was somewhere back in 2012, 2013, one of those two years. And I was at the front on a Sunday morning. And I was intentionally, because I'm an introvert, I was intentionally challenging myself to just get out of my comfort zone and, and just go out of my way to greet people at the front door and really look for people that, that I didn't recognize that might have been here as a newcomer. And I, I really wanted to make an intentional effort about welcoming them. And, um, and I remember Scott and Jackie, which if you know Scott, you know, he's, he's just a nervous wreck. And I can remember watching this couple walk into the church. And I think little Damien, little Damien was with them. And, uh, and I, I just told myself, I'm going to memorize their names. I'm going to make sure if I don't do anything else, I'm going to memorize their names. And so they walked in and, hey, how you doing? And I greeted them and they, I asked their names and they told me their names. And, and so I just, boom, that was my task for the week. I mean, I'm, I did other stuff too, but I made sure I memorized their names. And so the next Sunday they came back. And I said, hey, Scott, how, hey, Jackie, what's up, little Damien, little, little Damien, little guy? Let me put your pacifier back in. <laughs> Um, 
But I was reminiscing with Scott a couple weeks ago, and, and, uh, and he said, you know what, I remember our first time coming here to Northside. I remember you, you memorized our names, and you welcomed us, and you affirmed us, and, uh, and that really spoke to us. And here, here we are now eight years later, and these folks are serving each and every Sunday, you know, in the media, industri- in, in the media department, not industry, media department, and, and um, just such prominent people in our church, and Scott's now been on staff with us for a couple years, and and that was like a big success for me. That was a wake-up call for me. And, and i got to be honest, for every success story I've had like that, I've probably had five or six failures where I totally got somebody's name wrong. But what I'm trying to show you is that sometimes, even as a church, our ability to impact a family for the long haul, sometimes it hinges on something just as simple as how we welcome them, how we affirm them, how, how we greet them at the door. And so I want to challenge you, as I have many times before, every person here, if this is your home church, I want, I want you to, because ch- you are Northside. There's no Northside assembly other than the people that I'm looking at. Make it a goal for it to be impossible for a person to walk into this room and sit down on a Sunday morning without having been, been greeted three or four times. Beyond just the people holding the bulletins, I'm grateful for the people that hold the bulletins and pass them out. They're doing an important job. But that's their job, and people expect that. But for every one of you, go out of your way. Look for people that you don't know, whether they are truly people here for the first time or whether they've been here 20 years and you just don't know them. It doesn't mean you have to be their best friends for the rest of your life, but it just means you're just acknowledging their existence. You're affirming their worth. So good to see you. So good to have you today. Make yourself at home. Some of you, I want to challenge you to get out of this self-absorbed mindset and say, I'm not just going to show up at 930 and leave as soon as the final prayer is over. But I'm going to come five or ten minutes early. And I'm going to linger around five or ten minutes after. And I'm going to strike up some conversations. And I'm going to get to know some people and connect with some people. And for some of you, I, I realize that's, that's hard, that's unnatural, it's inconvenient because it's not your personality. For some of you that don't know me personally, if all you did was saw me on this platform on Sunday morning, you would think I'm an extrovert. I am not. I am an introvert to the core. And after I preach on a Sunday, especially my battery is drained, and I just want to go hide my cave for two or three hours. That's the truth. So it's inconvenient for me to go around before, uh, before a service. I don't like to do it. There's part of me that doesn't like to do that before a service. I, I'm focused. I want to be thinking about my message. And sometimes, you know, you're walking around and somebody says something crazy and gets your mind crazy and running and you're trying to preach and you're still thinking about it. So there's a lot of inconvenient things that come along with greeting and loving on people. But folks, um, everything in the kingdom is inconvenient. It's inconvenient to lay your life down for an enemy. Well, what I'm talking about is much less inconvenient. Amen? And then in this passage, beyond what I've talked about, you see evidence here of relationships that are deeper than just greeting. You see some really deep bonds in this passage. You know, as Paul, for example, talks about this church that meets in Nympha's house. You know, these are 20 or 30 people that see each other every week, multiple times a week, and they, they need one another because they live in a culture that is totally against their way of life, that's hostile to their way of life. Christianity is outlawed, and they need, they need this band of brothers and sisters to gather with and pray with and encourage and be open to. These people were family members And you see it with Paul and these men that he would travel with. Paul understands, I cannot be a successful apostle on my own. I cannot be a fruitful minister on my own. own. I need a team of people. I need some people around me that can help me continue to grow as a Christian. As, As theologically attuned as Paul was, and as much grit and rigor and perseverance he had, he still needed people. He needed Barnabas. He needed Timothy. He needed Luke. He needed these men. And they did it as a team. So I want to just take a few moments here at the end of this message and just talk about my team of people and express some gratitude to some folks that are in this room.
and just everybody in this room in general. But I want to take some time before I step off this platform. It may be the last time I ever step on this platform. And I just want to publicly give thanks to some folks. First of all, I, I want to express gratitude to the Singleys. I moved here to Crowley from Lakeland, Florida in May of 2004 to become the youth pastor here. And Brother Singley took a big risk on me. I was a 22-year-old single guy out of college with spiky hair and highlights. And I wore flip-flops all the time. Just looked like an idiot. I was a huge risk. And he took that risk and brought me on staff. And a year later, I married his daughter. It was, I tell people it was kind of arranged in the job interview, but just a joke. But that's probably the most important thing I've gotten out of this deal is my wife, Carrie, that we've been married for 16 years. And I tell you, um, she's been my, my biggest supporter and my saving grace. So I want to thank the Singleys for taking a chance on me. I want to thank them for uh, when I stepped into this role. I inherited a church, a situation that was better than anything I could have imagined. Debt-free. Amen. That's, that's worth an amen right there. Um. Just a strong legacy, as Craig talked about a moment ago, this missions legacy that was that the Singleys built into the DNA of this church. You know, when, when I came in, this church year after year was right up there, usually the number one missions-giving church in our district. And I'm proud to say that last year we were number one again, and that's, that DNA has continued. And so I want to say thank, thank you to them for uh, taking a chance and also just, just finishing well finishing well and, and setting an example for me to finish well. I want to thank, say thank you to the board. Uh, for the last eight years, I've had the privilege to work with some, some great people on our church board. Um, we've had to lead through some very challenging times, challenging um, situations. You know, my first two years pastoring, 2013, 2014, it was a breeze financially, like two of the best financial years we, we probably ever had. And then 2016, the local economy in Acadiana took a nosedive, which severely hurt our, our church and our school. Our, our enrollment at our school dropped 50 or 60 kids, which was a huge deal. And, and we were in a very difficult situation. And then on top of that, you know, having to deal with multiple hurricanes and floods that had, you know, forced us to cancel Sundays, which is a big deal for a church. And, of course, last year, we all know what COVID brought last year. And we had to lead you through some difficult times. And I'm so thankful that it wasn't just simply up to Ryan Post what to do. I had some great, godly, wise counsel around me. And together, we were able to navigate our church through that situation. And now the church is positioned to just thrive financially. And whoever, whoever follows me is inheriting what I think is as good of a situation as you can have coming out of COVID. And that's huge thanks to, to the entire church board. All of the people that have been on the board the last eight years, every last one of them deeply care about this church and have uh, served well in their roles. Pastoral staff, I'm going to individualize this one. I'm going to start with the staff member with the shortest tenure, and I'm going to go to the staff member with the, the longest tenure. Kevin Brannon, our youth pastor. Kevin has been here now for, I believe, eight months, something like that, eight or nine months. And Kevin is always full of joy, even when things are hard. He's full of joy, full of passion, passion for, passion for Jesus, passion for students. And way back in the October of 2020, right before he accepted the position, I had a conversation with Kevin before I had a conversation with anybody here. And I just told him, look, man, I just want you to know before you accept this that uh, you're probably going to have to go through a pastoral transition sooner rather than later. We, uh, we were 
you know, definitely sensing something was about to happen. And, and I just felt like I need to let them know before they uproot their family that there's a high likelihood that uh, they'll have to walk through that when they come at some point. And Kevin didn't flinch and uprooted his family from Slidell, where they, these guys were firmly planted for years, left a well-paying job, took a significant pay cut. And, and I know it wasn't easy. He spent the first month, month and a half, two months by himself away from his family here. And I'm so glad we waited that entire year to find the right person because I know we did. And I'm grateful for Kevin and Georgette, and I'm excited to see, you know, they've laid such a strong foundation and such strong relationships with these kids, and I'm excited to see them just flourish and thrive moving forward. Thank you, Kevin, for serving with us these last few months. For Mary A up there in the, the corner up there, that's her little spot. And uh, Mary A, I've talked a little bit about Mary in, in previous weeks, but I, I want to mention again uh, how much of a blessing she's been to us in these last three years. Again, you know, when she became the principal, you know, it was a tough situation because of the, the, the economic reality that, that caused our, our enrollment to just uh, plummet. And, and we were struggling uh, financially. And, and Mary came in. And in three years, you know, our school is in a better financial position, I think, than it's ever been in. And our enrollment is record high. And a lot of that has to do with Mary and her vision and her hard work through the, the personal struggles that she's had uh, with her health. This woman has not, uh, not thrown in the towel. She has worked tremendously hard. And also, I wanted to acknowledge Mary and just the encouraging voice that she's been in my life personally. You know, just sometimes there's been a couple of times where I've sat in her office and I needed a pick-me-up. I needed somebody to encourage me and pray with me. And Mary always saw that need before I told anybody. She always recognized it and said, what's going on? And I want to thank Mary for thinking beyond herself and her own job description and recognizing a, a pastor who just needed somebody to pray with him. And she did that and was willing to do that. So I want to thank you, Mary, publicly for that. Brooke Broussard. Brooke and uh, her husband, Philip, their family have been um, dear friends of ours for the last few years, even before Brooke came on staff. Uh, she and her husband were in our small group. And uh, they have been true friends, you know, truly have. Um, we really treasure their friendship. And I've seen Brooke just operate and live with such integrity and, and just a strong, unrelenting faith over these last uh, few years. And it, it's been a, a, especially a joy over the last year, year and a half, uh, to see her really start to find her niche in ministry, you know, uh, discovering who she is and what her calling is. And, and, and it's exciting to see that start to come alive. And uh, I'm really thrilled, uh, you know, to, to be, to hopefully to see that journey continue and and I'm grateful to have played at least a small part in that. So God bless you guys. Appreciate you. Heather Bajeron. I'm jumping up a few years now. Uh, Heather, uh, I didn't even know Heather was going to be here. I thought you'd have to watch this on the live stream. But Heather and Brandon, uh, man, this couple, oh, my goodness, they are solid gold. And, and unfortunately, they can't always be with us every Sunday. They, they minister to our kids. But I wish I had a thousand of those guys. I wish I had ten of them. I wish we had two of them. And uh, they, they're tremendous. Heather is one of the most caring people I know, one of the most compassionate people I know, probably the most servant-hearted person I know. You know, Heather just sees a need and she fills it. She sees a gap and she fills it. And it doesn't matter if it's in her job description or not. And it's especially come true. I've seen that over the last month as, you know, I've been preparing to transition out and, and Michelle's preparing for her transition. And, you know, Heather's been stepping right up, doing things that are beyond what she would normally do and doing it with a smile on her face and joy in her heart. And uh, we're going to miss Heather and Brandon Bajeron and, uh, you know, looking forward to the Lord leading them to come to Los Angeles with us at some point. Jared Morgan. Amen. The hardest working man that I know. 
Um, when Jared was, when Jared first came on staff, but Pastor Singley brought him on staff, and Jared was very much here, you know, uh, as an assistant to the pastor. That was kind of his first role here. You know, Pastor Singley was starting to have some struggles physically, and so Jared really assisted him and helped him in some some very important ways, and and so that was really kind of his role. He never really knew what he was going to be doing from day to day. You know, uh, I know when they were building this gym, you know, he knew exactly what he was going to be doing every day, but but Jared was just kind of a, you know, at first kind of a utility player. Whatever Pastor Singley needed him to do, you know, Jared would be the guy, the right-hand man to do it. And then when that transition happened and I became the pastor, there was then sort of like this question of, okay, what's, what's the role going to look like now? And what's, what's Jared going to do? What is his, uh, what's going to become his role? And I know that was kind of a struggle for the first, you know, two or three years of, you know, navigating that transition and trying to figure out, you know, I could see it in Jared that, that he knew there was something that God had called him to do, but he, he just didn't quite know what it was just yet and was praying about it. And, and I also remember Jared in those early years, you know, he wasn't quite as used to being on the platform with the microphone and, and kind of struggled to see himself in that role, felt, you know, insecure sometimes being on that platform. And now he has blossomed into a fine preacher and God has birthed a dream in his heart for the Way Training Center. You guys have all seen the fruit that not only is a result of God's provision, but it's also a result of this man's hard work. And he has been a wonderful example to me and to so many others and has blossomed into just a phenomenal leader. I, I have had the opportunity to sit down with a lot of the guys from the Way over the last nine months, just one-on-one, having lunch and stuff. And I, I can't tell you how many of those guys have told me, independently of one another, you guys had the right person leading that ministry. There's nobody else who should be leading that ministry. He's the one that should be doing it. And I just wanted to say thank you to Jared, and I'm going to miss him, and he's just an awesome man of God, and uh, great things are in store for him. Amen. Michelle Harris. Michelle... uh, was on staff when I first came on staff, 2004, and, and, and again, she has been somebody who's been a true friend, been, um, been so kind and generous and gracious to me. You know, I, I served on her worship team off and on numerous times, and, and one of the things I really struggled with was how to be a pastor and also submit under the worship pastor and try to navigate through that because I, I never wanted to just use my role in any kind of underhanded way. I wanted to make sure that when I was here on this platform that I was submitting to her authority. And i got to be honest with you, I, I don't think I always got that right. I really struggle with that sometimes because I'm, I tend to be a, you know, I'm trying to think of a, a word I can use in church. Um, when it comes to music, I can be a jerk, you know, especially when it comes to playing with other people. And I think there were probably times where I was a little bit like that, but Michelle has always been gracious and forgiving and merciful to me, and, and a true friend. And Michelle's one of those people who's always just been constant. No matter what challenges were going on in her life or in her ministry or whatever was going on, I know she always had, every, like everybody, every, we've all got stuff we're dealing with, but Michelle was the same person every day, joyful, you know, a little bit goofy a lot, you know. Um, <laughs> but let me tell you the most important thing about Michelle Harris. Yes, she's extremely talented, extremely gifted musically, but the most valuable thing about Michelle is that she is a true worshiper in her heart, and she doesn't need a title. Michelle is Michelle's one of those rare people that just doesn't need a title, doesn't need a platform, doesn't need the attention. She's here to worship Jesus and lead other people into doing the same. And I'm going to just tell you, I've been around long enough to know that's extremely rare. You know, I've seen people on this platform, on other platforms, who can sing like crazy, but they don't have that kind of heart. And uh, I'm grateful to have served with Michelle for these many years. And we got another one coming up in AJ who's exactly like that. So God bless you guys. And then Randy Traha. Randy is uh, going to be our, our interim pastor beginning tomorrow. And... Uh, I, I really am excited that Randy's going to be in that role and, you know, feel like he's the unique person to do that. Randy is, 
same same thing. I mean, just like Michelle, he, you know, I've watched him for many years in many different roles. He was the principal here, which, if you didn't know, the principal position at Northside is the hardest job on this campus. You couldn't pay me enough to do it. By the way, welcome to Kelly Williamson, our new principal. <laughs> Her first Sunday with us. But Randy, Randy was principal here when I got here for many years, and then Brandon was principal. And I mean, that's a tough position. And the thing about Randy is that no matter what was going on in his office and those conversations, you always knew what you were going to get out of Randy Trahan every day. You knew there was no mystery. Like when you walked into the office, it, w it wasn't like, oh, man, what's Randy going to be like today? You knew what Randy's going to be like. He's a constant, stable, joyful presence, positive presence. One thing I'll remember about Randy always is just the little notes, man. Birthday cards, encouraging notes. Every so often, just because you'd find a little note from Randy Trahan, just handwritten note. Never could read anything. It, it's, his handwriting's so terrible, but, but you knew it was coming from a good place in his heart. He literally could have written anything down. He could have written the alphabet, and you wouldn't be able to read it, and you'd just say, man, look at Randy. This is really nice of him. I want to say thanks to, to all of our staff, Rochelle and Karen, uh, wonderful women to work with, Charlotte, Rebecca. I don't think Rebecca was able to be here today. Our custodians, our teachers, all of our teachers. It's been such a joy to work with all of you over these last eight years. I want to highlight, I'm almost done. I want to highlight just a few friends, people who have been especially close friends even beyond our staff. Um, Craig and Janet Thompson, who really have, they're just part of the backbone of our church. And they are just wonderful people. And I'm so grateful for Craig and Janet's leadership. The reason why this man is leading the church right now as a lead board member, the reason why he's got the microphone and he's got the platform is because of everything they do behind the scenes that nobody sees. And they've been doing it for years. So grateful for Craig and Janet. Todd and Denise Hanks. Uh, Todd has uh, been, they've been just great friends from the very beginning. And Todd has been, for me, just a, a sounding board. You know, having been a pastor previously in other locations, you know, Todd's the one person here. There's probably two other people here beyond Todd. But Todd's probably one who, pretty much knows everything there is to know about Ryan Post. And I, I'm just, I, I'm, he's the one person I can go to and just be an open book to. Because no matter what, Todd's not going to be impressed with me, you know. On the other hand, he's also been very supportive and very encouraging. And it's been extremely valuable to me to have somebody like Todd to go to with things that I wouldn't be able to go to about with to anybody else. And I, I just wanted to highlight Todd and Denise. They really have been special to us. And uh, a lifesaver at times. And I appreciate you, Todd. Amen. Nathan and Casey LeBlanc. Nathan's on the live stream. Casey, uh, I saw her in here a moment ago. And Nathan and Casey LeBlanc. And Brandon and Raina Richard. These are two couples that we've been very close with over the years and had a lot of fun times together and fun nights. And I think they're all looking for some real estate opportunities in Los Angeles as well. Woody and Debbie Gunnels. I have to mention Woody and Debbie Gunnels who came to our church. I'm almost done, folks, um, but I, ha I have to mention the Gunnels. You know, they came to our church a few years ago, and, you know, what's been very unique and very special to us about the Gunnels is, you know, they were pastors for many years in, in, in Eunice and in New Orleans and, and um, you know, retired pastors. And when they retired, they moved here to Northside, and they said, here's a young pastor and his wife, and we're going to encourage them, and we're going to support them, and we're going to wrap our arms around this guy and periodically tell him without getting a big head, you're doing a good job, and we really enjoyed your sermon Sunday, and it really spoke to me, and it got me to think, and, and I can't tell you how many times the Gunnels have been that for me in my life over the last few years, and I'm telling you, it's meant so much. It's meant the world to me, and it's filled a void in my life that needed to be filled. And I wanted to publicly tell you that. I've told you that privately many times, but I wanted the church to know how much of a blessing the Gunnels have been to Ryan and Carrie Post and our family. God bless you guys.
to everyone that's volunteered in a ministry here, to everybody who's driven the church van or served in the sound booth, you know, the media booth. That's where everybody looks when something goes wrong. And to everybody who's served in the nursery to change diapers, you know, every single volunteer in this church, I just from the bottom of my heart want to say thank you because I can't do what I do if you're not doing what you're doing. I'm, I'm thankful for that. And for all of you that have called this church your home church for the last few years, I want to say thank you, especially to those of you that were here from the very beginning. Some of you, you were here when Pastor Singley and Miss Patsy were here, and you were here through that transition, you know, and that transition, I mean, it was a significant transition. I'm, I'm a young guy, and I, I've, you know, there's been a lot of changes over the years, and some of you have stuck with us through all of those changes and all of those shifts, and uh, honestly, like, when I first started here, I was 31, when I first got voted in, 31 years old, I'm 39, and through this decade of my 30s, and I think it's common to people in their 30s, I've been through a lot of shifts. You know, I've thought through different ways of how to be a pastor, how to be a church, and I've not always pastored this church the same way. You know, and, and so you just, you haven't had just one pastor these eight years. You've had several pastors these eight years, and they all were named Ryan Post. And to be honest with you, if my 39-year-old self today had to go in a time machine and sit under the pastoral leadership of my 31-year-old self, I'm not sure I would have stuck around. But so many of you have, and not only stuck around, many of you have just been great supporters. I'm thinking even in particular just people in, from the older generation, and I'm not going to tell you if you're in the older generation or not. You decide for yourself. But there are folks who are twice my age here, some more than twice my age, who really have been some of our greatest supporters. And you know who you are. You know, I'm looking at Cleo Huval, Floyd Harmon, Melton and Linda Shecksnight. I shouldn't have started naming folks, man. You know, the Foremans, the Kibitos. You know, uh, you guys have been just so such a blessing to us, and I wanted to say thank you. Thank you all for letting us serve here, for letting me be your pastor here for the last nine years or eight years. I haven't always gotten it right, just like there. I said nine, I said eight. I haven't always gotten it right, but I've done it with all my heart, and I hope that our ministry's made a difference in your life. I hope that my preaching and teaching has stretched you and challenged you in ways that you've needed to be stretched and challenged because that's what I care about more than anything else, being faithful to God's call upon my life. So thank you. God bless you, and grace be with you. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. To learn more about Northside Assembly of God, check out our website at www.northsidecrowley.com.